Hey everyone, glad to have everyone back. Today on How I Scale My Team, we're happy to host Nir Goldstein, VP Sales APAC and EMEA at Monday.com, one of the fastest growing companies in recent years. We'd love to hear your story. Uh, it's been a while since we had our last sales executive uh, with us on the show, so it's great to have you here with us. Nir, welcome. Thank you, Shachar. Big pleasure to be here. Hey, Nir. And for all me. Cool. So, Nir, I'll jump right to it. Uh, first, I'd love to hear about, uh, about yourself. Uh, you know, what you've done so far, what got you to this point in your career. Um, and then I have a follow-up question I got to ask you. Okay. So my name is Neil Goldstein. I'm 41 years old. Um, I'm in my education, I've learned industrial engineering in the Tel Aviv University and started my tech career around 15 years ago. Um, it actually started in more technical roles. I didn't start doing sales until five or six years ago. But I think all of my previous roles in my career were between tech and business. And around six years ago, I've decided I want to go fully and into sales. And I've made my first uh, steps in, in sales, first in my, uh, my own startup, selling, um, selling our product, uh, but actually uh, doing actual sales in a large sales group uh, was in, in my previous company named Sysense. A BI and analytics vendor. I started as the head of pre-sale and, and then took and led uh, sales teams as a sales director. And just a little bit more than three years ago, I've, uh, I've joined Monday when the sales organization was fairly small. We were back then 35 people. And three years after, we were more than 400 people in the sales. My group specifically runs the direct sales um, everywhere outside of the North America, we I have around 170 people in in my sales group. Around 90 of them in Tel Aviv, and additional uh, 40 to 50 people in in the UK, and similar number in the in Australia. And we're now tapping into Asia. And this is in a nutshell about me. Quite a nutshell, man. Um, I gotta <laughs> tell you, you know, I, I looked at your LinkedIn earlier. Uh, like like I, I try to do with with people to kind of show and I never met before and I, I skimmed through your career and it's fascinating I mean uh, obviously you've been through a lot how does one come from being let me quote here logic and optimization system analyst um, not the sexiest of titles allow me to say to becoming uh, a VP sales at Monday. And so you, so you, so you kind of gave us the background, but also as I saw your progression uh, going through companies from you know that level of success and success is somewhat successful in recent years to probably one, if not the hottest company on the block growing insanely. When you guys grew uh, more than double last year, I think you're now over 400 million in revenue, Re- really tremendous success. Someone took a bet on you to drive that growth from working at okay companies to the best company. How does that work? Yeah, so in, in, as I mentioned, um, throughout my career, I, um, I took roles between business and, uh, and technical. The one that you've mentioned uh, was in, in a company called Click Software that was acquired, I think, two years Salesforce. ago or so by, by Salesforce. Exactly. By the way, it's also an amazing story. That company was deep in the ground, going nowhere for years. I mean, that company has been around before I was a software engineer, which is about 20 plus years ago. That company already existed. It was very successful in Australia, almost went belly up, 
but survived and ended up getting acquired. I think it was like 1.7 billion, something like that by Salesforce, which is a tremendous story. Different episode, though. Yeah, that 1.5 billion uh, by uh, Salesforce, I think, uh, was an I- interesting initiative of few people in the company to develop one of the company's products on top of Salesforce, which eventually ended up with, uh, with the acquisition. But back then, in my role, um, for those of you, in a nutshell, for those of you who don't know what ClickSoftware does, they do field service optimization. So companies that have a lot of uh, technicians or, or people on the on the ground on the, on the field, and you know, optimizing and scheduling their tasks on the day to day is quite a tough uh, challenge and one with a very big impact on the company's business. So my role back then was to go and sit with senior leaderships of the largest telecom companies or um, companies that have many technicians and identify their preferences and understand their business, their business KPIs, and then putting it into the uh, systems algorithms. And I do see a lot of equivalent skills that salesperson need to have. Uh, because a good salesperson is not only selling the product, they're actually, we should be trusted advisors. We should be consultants. We should understand the business of our prospects and being able to deliver them solution together with obviously with the commercial offer and the contract. But I, I, I find a lot of the aspect that I've done back then in that role um, equipped me later on in my career to become a, a good, hopefully a good sales leader. So these are the areas where I find uh, some uh, similarity between those. Uh, But I think uh, fairly early in those days, I understood that I want to take a bigger portion on the business side and slightly a lower portion on the technical side. And this is where I started driving more and more into into sales. So that's how I got uh, very in high level from one one end to the other. It's a great story on people that start off in one place um, and it um, can grow anywhere within a, an organization that offers that opportunity. And the fact that there's a lot of chatter in recent years around, hey, I want to join the high-tech industry. They tell people, once you have the foothold, then you can go anywhere. You can start in one position, grow to a different position. Um, if you're good at what you're doing, you're ambitious and you're willing to put in you know, the, the blood, sweat, and tears, then that can take you anywhere. And I, and I think you're, you're definitely an inspiration to anyone uh, that's been in that space. So um, congrats on your success. Thank you for that. So Neil, now we're going to kind of dig into what it means and what it takes to, to scale a team and build a team uh, to success and kind of the, the steps that you uh, took since uh, you joined Monday. So just to start off at the beginning, how... How did you build and manage today an international sales team that is completely distributed geographically and, you know, in many places around the world? To begin with, uh, the success of the sales and growth of the sales can never be only in sales. It's a company effort that involves marketing and product and everything that need to be collaborated. So for those of you who are like uh, the the early uh, days sales leaders out there, if you want to get your sales organizations successful, uh, I'm going to try and give you a few tips on, on the sales side, but it's not only a sales game. Once you understand it, once you really understand what are the challenges on the marketing side, and then they understand yours, and uh, you do the same with product and collaborate uh, fairly close with them. And with CS, this is how you usually drive the, the, sales, to, the sales to be successful. I think there's so many so many aspects in Monday that we're trying to 
challenge and think out of the box. Like I can share with you a few examples that Monday do very different compared to probably most sales organizations out there. Uh, one good example is when I joined Monday and up until probably a year or a year and a half ago, we had no commission at all. So 100% fixed salary for sales reps. Wait, wait. So you guys do have commissions now, right? We have something similar to commission. I had this dispute with someone a couple of months ago that Monday already has commission. They're like, no, no, they don't. I was like, no, no, by the, this Shaha, time they, they have already. We have an entire question on the model. Don't. <laughs> no, no, but Nir brought it up. Nir brought it up. So I had to comment. Go ahead, Nir. Sorry. You guys are doing differently. Today, we have a variable component, a significant variable component. We don't call it commission because it's not measured by deals. It's not like you close the deal, you get a dollar. It doesn't work like that. We don't believe in it like that. And, and the reason why we're trying to uh, do something slightly different is that the, we find the commission model that has a lot of advantages. It has a lot of disadvantages as well. It drives solace or personal behavior. And we wanted, I think, one of the initial insights that Monday had back then, uh, which I challenged to be at the beginning and before I, I joined and even after, was the fact to, to be able to push the group success and not only the individual success. So um, in, in many aspects, like in many sales organizations, you have the belief that if I drive each individual for their success, the collective would be successful. At the end of the day, I will get a lot of revenues from many individuals, and then the sales group would deliver the revenue and then we'll keep on growing. In many aspects, it is true, but there are many pitfalls for that as well. There are many um, cases where the individual incentive and the collective incentive are, do not align. A uh, few key examples, what do you do in global accounts? Um, is it my lead? Is it your lead? If a company is an Israeli tech startup, um, in one of my previous companies, I had a, I've got a, an opportunity with an Israeli tech startup that was located in my building, but the headquarters were in the US. So we had um, our, the Israeli team had a big chance to win a significant deal uh, that the US team wouldn't gain any commission of it. Um, whether the, the U.S. team considered the company according to the rules of engagement as a U.S. company, and they, they took the deal and lost it. Um, so the, that's one example where the company's uh, incentive or the sales the group incentive doesn't align with the individual one. And, and, and in those areas, this is how you, you miss out. We're trying to engage in our variant um, payment um, a big component for the group success. So if you have uh, lower chances to win a deal and you hand it over to your, your friend, you're actually you know, increasing your personal compensation. I think this was one of the key areas where um, to drive the, the growth and the success of the company and their sales. That's very interesting, Nia. Um, do you find that element kind of sticking the team more together, like making sure that people help each other more, that people are more engaged with one another, you know, a new salesperson coming in, more kind of caring, nurturing. So do you see it also kind of on a friendship or kind of uh, on engagement kind of level um, at your team? Or we're only talking revenue right now and commission and making sure that, you know, everyone wants to make more money. Sales is driven by a very clear factor. So where do you see it like in different kind of personas on your team? No, I see it uh, completely on the culture side. Culture is, is the, the second element that I wanted to mention. I think it's 
our biggest asset as a company in Monday and also in sales. Um, there were many cases where I've met amazing sales reps, president club from the largest organization in the world, and we we end up not hiring them because we felt that uh, they're not aligned with with uh, with the group's culture. And when you're growing such a large group of individuals, one individual in most cases cannot really move the needle up, but uh, uh, one bad apple can create such a huge damage. Uh, so for us, when we are hiring, the culture is is a key aspect. We would never, never, never compromise on culture when we're hiring. And for where we see our DNA is with the collaboration and having a, a strong uh, team spirit. Um, I think my general advice here would be just stick with your culture, even if it's slightly different from what I've mentioned, different values. Make sure that you're hiring the right people to your organizational DNA in order to drive um, mutual or group success. I got to hand it to you. Um, I've seen a lot of sales organization and I've heard about the, the mall you guys have instilled. Um, I'm still a hard time fully understanding it, but again, I can argue with the success you guys have created, which, you, which, is, which is tremendous. You know, when, when you talk about it, yeah, it sounds like an ideal, right? It's like everybody works in the same goals. Uh, you know, uh, us, us in Israel, we can easily understand. It's like building a kibbutz. Uh, you know, the kibbutz model eventually didn't work well enough. Uh, so it's, it's very difficult to get to that point. I think you're misinterpreted. It's not, it's very far from a kibbutz. It's very far from just having a collective uh um, a collective target. It is not what I meant. I think okay. uh, we're 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 we have uh, very aggressive goals. We drive excellence. We drive personal excellence. Um, I'm saying that we're compensating in, in some areas uh, slightly different, and we're saying goodbye in other areas to those who don't align with their excellence. I think all in all, uh, with having the right team spirit in mind, and which I think many sales reps are, and, and strong sales reps are looking for the right culture, and not only the the you know the, what maximizes their payment. I think in the, in a group of around 170 to 180 people in my group over three and a half years, we had less than 10 people leaving us, uh, leaving us or us you know part ways from them. All in all. I think it also contributes uh, for um, for the success of the team for uh, in the long term, the ability to uh, retain and maintain the strong uh, performers over quite a lot of time. Um, and I think culture is a key aspect for it. Absolutely. So you say culture, and, and I remember this also from our first conversation that you said um, kind of with a smile about, you know, not a lot of people leaving uh, the team. And I said, Nir, it's a big deal. Don't be humble. Like, I want to I dig into that. And culture comes back again and again in each conversation that we have with different executives. And um, you have a huge team. And, you know, looking at Stoke, keeping a culture, you know, 30 people, 20 people, 40 people, it's, it's, it's easier. People know each other. People meet each other at the office. So how do you do it and mainly maintain it over time um, with such a large group? Um, not with the same culture, not with the same geography. Probably people never met each other um, only on Zoom or, you know, you know, video calls. So how do you do it uh, from a leadership kind of perspective? 
I think there are a few key aspects for it that uh, that would help you a lot to maintain the culture. And uh, so first, hire people with the right DNA to, to where your culture is. I think people are, a lot of people that join Monday ask me, how, how would Monday, you know, crossing more than 1,500 employees at the moment, how do we keep the culture? How do we try to keep the culture? First thing is that, you know, this is the real culture of our leaders. If you would have met uh, Ran and Roy, our co-founders, they were like, they sit in open space. They, you, you, if you wouldn't know them and you go through the office, you wouldn't be able to point who is the CEO. Dressed like everyone else, they, they speak and, and listen to you in, in, your, in your level. Um, and I think this is the DNA of the executives in the company. This is the DNA of the people in the company. And when, you are, when this is your personality and it aligns with that, it's, first of all, it's easier. Second aspect is setting the right KPIs. You know, if KPIs drive behavior. If you're setting KPIs that would drive one certain behavior, this is what you should expect in the company. If you're setting KPIs and values um, and you, you know, execute them on the day-to-day, you would probably uh, see, see other behavior. Um, so this is like by, by maintaining the KPIs for the cells, as I mentioned, the group element is still a strong portion in it. Um, while we understand that as we grow as a company and we're now a public company, um, we, we need to align more and more with the way other organizations do sales. We still try to avoid from commission while comp- making sure we're compensating our top achievers properly because uh, these are the people we want to uh, keep and, and reward. I think about sales organizations, obviously, it runs through my head. And the you know, hiring sales teams myself, there's a huge price to pay uh, when you're bringing on a misfit, if you will, right? You're bringing in someone that doesn't fit the culture. Um, it brings on a negative behavior. Um, you know, when you're managing a team of, what, if, what is it, 170 people, then, you know, one misfit maybe not be that bad when you're running a team of 10 salespeople. You know, bringing in a bad sales uh, person uh, creates negative effect, creates bad atmosphere, breaks, uh, breaks the line. Um, how do you avoid that? How do you, how do you, you mentioned a lot about cultural fit. What is culture? How do you measure for cultural fit in an interview process? It's a great question and a tough one. I think uh, we, we spent a lot of time into building uh, and refining our hiring process. Each candidate would meet at least seven or eight people from within the organization uh, before getting hired. Each one of those individuals, those interviewers would put a lot of emphasis on the culture um, and trying to identify is it is that person a team player is that person someone who's coachable can they get feedback receive feedback properly um, so we're trying to to have many eyes in, into the process and there was a, a price to pay if I could share with you the amount of times that I knocked my head in the wall um, you know, uh, once the, the lowest and the most junior interviewer in the process declined a top rep that I spent two hours on the, on the phone and uh, president club that uh, tried to convince joining our organization, especially early days, it was so frustrating for me. And as, a, as the VP, I could overrule this decision easily, but I, I never did. 
Um, although we've lost a lot of great candidates over the way, for us it was, um, you know, we didn't want to get a false negative. We rather um, missing out great candidates um, that we had question marks against their uh, culture rather than, you know, hiring someone with a, with a bad aspect. Uh, that's one aspect of it. I think uh, our HR, the, our recruiters, just like a magicians for me, the way the, the, the insights that they are able to get after um, the HR interview, which comes last, is amazing. And, and for each candidate, and this is also something that has a big price because it's very time consuming, we have a committee of all the people who took part in the in the interview. So uh, aligning the calendars of six or eight people is tough, but we never skip it. I think all those steps and measures during the hiring process allows us to probably try and minimize the uh, mishires, but, but it doesn't end up there. We have um, a checkup point for every candidate. One month into the job, and three months uh, into the job, each manager has been asked, would you rehire this person? And if at some point the, the answer is no or, or not sure, we might part ways uh, you know, fairly early. It doesn't happen much, at least not in my group, uh, fortunately. Uh, but I think if you identify a misfit and you you don't have a strong belief that this, is, uh, this would be a successful match, don't drag it. Take the tough decision and part ways, do it in an honorable and fair and respectable uh, way, but uh, part ways. A lot of companies today kind of, I think um, there is, of course, the book, but, you know, hire slow and good and fire fast. Um, So kind of um, maybe think about it. And, you know, we can't have this episode without talking to you, Neil, about um, the Monday Academy um, and, you know, the the idea to to, to come up with an academy for sales. why did you do it? Why did you come up with it? What was kind of the pain point behind it? And I'll ease up the conversation and let's skip, um, you know, the obvious part where it's a solution kind of to bridge, you know, this paradox of, you know, a lot of people want to go into tech and a lot of uh, companies want to hire top talents and this kind of paradox, we're all kind of, you know, swimming <laughs> around. So what was the pain and kind of first steps into building this academy? So it started with a clear business challenge, okay? I think since I've joined, I, I recall myself being behind hires, especially in Israel. The hires like, uh, are quite aggressive. We, again, we grew from 14 to 170 in three years. Um, and like it's, uh, think of uh, a group of 14 people, 15 people that need to recruit 45. Each one, like how many interviews are you involved in and, and everything? Um, but I think last year I was down like uh, 10 or 15 uh, sales rep. If you do the clear math of, you know, each sales rep would carry a quarter on average of fifty, sixty uh, $60,000 at least. Um, we're talking about like somewhere between half a million to $1.2 million that you lose every month by not having the uh, sales reps in place. Um, so it started with a business challenge and I knew that, um, you know, we're fairly uh, big compared to the sales community in Israel. There's not the sales community of sales reps who sold internationally, not including the, the sales reps who are selling mostly to Israel is not very big. So hiring 30, 40 of those in one year and probably the year after 
double the amount or 1.5 uh, the size, I knew that I, I would have to come up with something sustainable that would allow me sustainable growth. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to meet my, uh, my target as a sales leader. And uh, for me, the only solution was to try and, and, and create some kind of a mechanism, some kind of a framework that would allow us to identify uh, skilled people, train them and grow them. I have to say that we, we are big enough to have uh, a lot of infrastructure to support it. We have a fairly large team of sales enablement, uh, around 15 people. All of them used to be sales reps. We have a, a big team of HR. We're a big organization with a lot of capabilities for marketing and, and things like that. So we had a lot of resources. I had a personal uh, experience in, in mentoring or being a mentor in a, in a sales course that took people without experience and trained them to become sales reps. And we've hired a couple of graduates and it was very successful. So the a combination of the two, our my, my successful experience with hiring, uh, you know, completely newbies um, against the, the, the business challenge of not having sales reps um, made me uh, take a decision that we need to take a step forward and, and being more mindful or open-minded to hire people with no, uh, with no experience. Early last year, uh, we started doing that, but we... Uh, faced a significant challenge in hiring people with no experience. We had two challenges on that aspect. The first one, even when we decided that we want to hire people with no experience, identifying those who are fit during the hiring process was challenging uh, because the entire hiring process was not tuned to identify skill. It was around experience. It was around having an interview of asking you about your sales experience and what you did and so on. It was around having a sales simulation that most of the people with, with zero experience failed in and, and so on. And even those who, who were hired came with zero experience and didn't know how to handle a lead, how to handle objection, how to send a summary email after an intro call. Um, so it was quite challenging. Our onboarding process wasn't tuned to take people from zero to uh, to ten. It was only meant to take people from seven to ten. Uh, so combining those two challenges, we understood that we want to create some kind of a, an academy that would try and filter um, based on skills, based on potential, and have throughout the academy have enough interaction with people and seeing them on so many simulations and seeing their progress and seeing them growing and uh, putting the time and effort and getting better. This sorted out the first challenge. And, and we, during that academy, we also granted them with a basic knowledge of how sales looks like, uh, what the sales process is, how to handle a lead, how to handle objections and so on. So, through the, throughout the economy, we felt that uh, we we're able to solve those two challenges in hiring people with no experience. Well, kudos. Um, we've seen a lot of companies doing it, obviously, for, for tech roles over the last year, uh, not so many for sales roles. Um, would love to touch base, uh, I don't know, 12 months from now and see how, how these guys have 
came into the role, grew, um, and you know, were able to make progress um, in the organization. So we're, we're kind of running out of time. So, so before um, I hand it off to, um, to kind of last questions, what's your main challenge today? Obviously, you said you're managing like, you know, 200 people today, so it's quite different. What is your main challenge today? I think my, the, my main challenge is uh, only today, since I've joined, is that the growth target, not only in sales, but I'm, I'm talking in the aspect of sales in Monday, are so aggressive. Uh, we're talking about doubling and tripling in, in very high numbers. I think what it pushes us constantly, we're, we're setting high bars and, and having the no clear commission model for the leaders also allowed us, like I'm getting a target of X, I'm trying to see if I can deliver or take on myself 1.2X. The the actual act, uh, opposite dynamic compared to every sales organization that I've had and by setting the bar high, we're setting it that, that high that doing what we've done last year only at scale won't get us to the target next year. This forces us to come up with a different initiatives to change our paradigm, to change the way we work today um, in order to increase the efficiency and get better. Every year, every year we identify somewhere around 10 initiatives complete changes to what we've done last year, uh, that if three or four would catch and would uh, would succeed, we're on target next year. Uh, so I think that that, that mindset. Uh, and I think this year is, is tougher um, than any other year, right? It's I think part of it is, um, and you know, I end up asking this almost everyone on our show um, for the last few episodes, you know, the, the market's kind of, you know, turning down uh, for, for the last, I don't know, three, four months. Um, hasn't skipped any company, uh, hasn't skipped us at Fiverr, and hasn't skipped Monday. I mean, the, the stock is down, I don't know, 60 70%, whatever the number is. How does that influence how you guys, you know, communicate with your employees, setting goals? Obviously, everyone's kind of looking and asking around, like, what's going on? And, and the, the toughest thing I have to say from my perspective is uh, the majority of people working in these companies today have never seen uh, economy uh, or stock going down. It's been going up for 15 years. All of a sudden, you know, the, the reds wasn't, it's a color that never existed. And all of a sudden you're, you're in this situation. As, as I'm asking your challenge, your goals, like how does that influence? So first, uh, I think uh, anyone that would tell you that they're not influenced at all or it doesn't, they, they um, don't care too much would, would probably be, wouldn't be the, the too honest. I think it's a lot about been uh, educating people on on what's going on. It's a lot about handling the challenges in this period, but understanding that this is an opportunity for many companies. I think that uh, one of the challenges that were in the, in the you know six months ago and, and earlier than that is that everything was great. Any company was amazing, and everything was any company got funded, and every any company grew. And I think the, the opportunity that if you look at each and every um, economic challenges or economic crisis is that those companies that uh, were excellent and excel in what they do, they really thrived after uh, that period in time, um, you know, passed. And economy is periodic. Uh, it, it goes up, it goes down, and it will go up back again. I think we see it in many aspects uh, as a company, as a as an opportunity. First of all, to really identify those areas that we should have improved earlier on those days, but weren't 
important enough. Growth was, uh, you know, on top of probably everything. And, and we're now optimizing, but also as a challenge to differentiate ourselves and the way we uh, deliver compared to many companies out there. And I think the, there's a big understanding in the company across the employees that uh, we need to continue doing our best and excel. And, and at the end of the day, if you do that constantly for a long period of time, you'll be successful and the, the, the stock would be up again and, and things would look bright, even uh, although it's fairly cloudy at the moment. In one sentence, Neil, I hate the word tip. So we don't use the word tip. We say advice. So kind of one advice to any VP sales going through fast growth. What would it be? It's two, but it's uh, two words. It's planning <laughs> and agility. Don't just leave the day to day. Plan ahead. Uh, with with your best knowledge, your best educated guess on, on what's going on and how you deal with it. Um, I started planning uh, 2023 at January 2022. There, I'm, I'm doing a lot of changes to the plan, especially now throughout the year. But I've started planning. I've started identifying the challenges that I'm going to face but at the end of the year earlier on. It allows me to, to take action. And, and be agile, um, act fast, try to identify trends early on and, um, and uh, identify those uh, elements that requires your action in order to make a change and adapt. I think if you do those two, it's going to be much easier for you to grow your sales organization. So thank you so much, Neil, for being with us today, talking about culture, talking about the emphasis on skills and maybe not on experience. Um, many on takeaways. Talk, yeah, on commission, many takeaways on what to do when you grow a team. And uh, we're going to circle back and see how you guys do next year. And thank you for being here, Shachar, also, as always. And make sure to subscribe so you always know uh, when the episode drops or how I scaled my team. Thank you, Nir. Thank you, Nir. It was awesome. Thank you, Romy. Thank you, Shachar. It was a big pleasure.